Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are doing a Book of Boba Fett Q&A. And I'm really excited. It's been a while since we've done a dedicated Q&A episode that wasn't our anniversary episode. Yeah, I know. And I feel like it's perfect. I actually rewatched um, chapter six and seven last night with my dad and I had an absolutely delightful time. It was so good. <laughs> and I'm really excited to talk more about the book of Boba Fett. I do feel like sometimes when we do our television recaps, we sort of skip over how the dust settles, I guess. And I don't think the dust has fully settled with the book of Boba Fett at all okay like at all but it sometimes I feel like we we record our finale discussion and then that's that and <laughs> really happy to bring back the Q&A so thank you to everyone who emailed us and DM'd us and everything I, it really every day Caitlin and I were just talking about the other day it's like whoa <laughs> you all really came out and <laughs> asked a lot of questions it is awesome so We've picked some and we're really happy and really excited to talk about them tonight. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. It's been about a week now since the Book of Boba Fett finished. Of course, we also got the Obi-Wan Kenobi poster, no Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer, but it is <laughs> nice to return back to Boba Fett because, yeah, we don't always get the opportunity or we we set our own schedule. We can always have the opportunity, but we haven't gone back always and yeah. done like a, a full yeah. kind of Q&A or like recap of, of all of the television seasons that have come out. So it's nice to kind of revisit and really kind of look at the series as a whole and dive into your specific questions about stuff that we've forgotten to talk about on the show, things we've missed, things we should revisit and talk about. So yeah, thank you guys so much for submitting your questions. Um, we were really excited to get all of them. Yeah. Okay. So why don't we start right away with Joey's question? Joey asks, since Din Djarin showed up in the book of Boba Fett, do you think there's a good chance that Boba and other members of the Fett Gatra could show up in Mandalorian season three? I really hope so. I think we've talked about this a number of times throughout the season, um, especially given our, you know, Din and Grogu heavy episodes of the last half of the season. So I hope it's not the last time we see Boba Fett. And I think they've established such a relationship between Boba and Din that it would make sense for Din to call upon Boba for help again, especially since it feels like where they are in Tatooine is kind of things are, are settling. The dust is settling actually there and they're rebuilding. So it feels like he would have opportunity to kind of get away, you know what I mean? And uh, go help Din on some adventures. Yeah, I think it's interesting because today Phil Shostak's Art of the Mandalorian Season 2 actually came out and I got it today. Very excited. I pre-ordered it. And the way that the book is separated is by Mandalorian episode chapter. And I flipped right to the episode that Boba Fett returns, The Tragedy. And in it, John Favreau, there's amazing quotes. First off, these art of books. If this is your first time listening to one of Caitlin and I's podcasts, the art of books in the Disney era are like real the good. modern equivalent of, of, yeah, they're real good, but they really are like the behind the scenes Bible, I guess, for all of this. So there's so many good quotes that you 
just wish that you had more access to, I guess, or you wish that you could read like every single day of your life. <laughs> the There's a good part though there, John Favreau talks about wanting to bring back Boba Fett. And okay, so I went and got the book actually. <laughs> so here is the quote. When John Favreau started developing his own Star Wars stories, Boba Fett was for, for, foremost in his mind. The idea of Boba Fett emerging from the Sarlacc pit or suggesting that he had survived the Sarlacc was something that I wanted to see. This is John Favreau in his own words. There's something really compelling about a person like Iron Man or the Mandalorian or Boba Fett inside a shell of technology and with weapons developed in Star Wars lore to fight the spiritual and magical qualities of a Jedi. It's an interesting angle, humanity versus technology. And we're further exploring those things. How do you harness technology? How do you have technology serve humanity? How do you make the world better through it without letting it take you over? Just to pause here and say that when I read that, I immediately thought of the finale of the Book of Boba Fett. I felt like that's exactly what was a sort of a thesis that was running through that finale about like the natural world versus the like the droid world, um, technology versus going back to basics. Um, okay. So back to John Favreau, he says, I don't know if I could have gone in there with a fresh pitch and said, I want to make a Boba Fett TV show. I figured starting off with something very simple and small on the scale of the original star Wars, the scale of the old Westerns would leave us someplace to go because we wouldn't have the responsibility of trying to compete with other big movies. Here, we're just going to tell a small Star Wars story and introduce new characters. It gave us a lot more freedom. Now we can build in established characters and weave them together. We knew that Boba Fett was someone who was going to have to be dealt with at some point, especially considering that in the first season was about a Mandalorian who's explicitly not Boba Fett, Favreau said. And it may have been the way that the character was first introduced when I was a kid, but I always felt like there was more to him. There was a lot of fan fiction, a lot of expanded universe stuff as well. So apparently everyone felt the same way. So basically, he goes on to talk about how he wanted to weave in Boba Fett <laughs> before making a bigger show about it. But what I take from this quote is this concept of a small Star Wars story that is like woven throughout other small Star Wars stories. And yeah, so to the original question <laughs> of do you think there's a good chance of Boba and other members of the Fett Gatra showing up in Mandalorian season three? Yes, I do. Because... I think that's already part of the original DNA of bringing Boba Fett back. Yeah, I agree. I really like that quote uh, from John Favreau. And yeah, I think the the art of books are such so great, and particularly the Mandalorian books because the the books about the art of the Mandalorian because they are divided out by chapter um, and by episode. Somehow, I feel like I get more out of that kind of organization in the book. I don't know why, but to me, it just feels like, oh my gosh, like it's it's by episode. It's not yeah. just by like character or like concept. It's by episode. I don't know. I just, I really love the organization of the Art of the Mandalorian books. So absolutely recommend if you don't have them already. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really, really hoping for an Art of the Book of Boba Fett book. I oh, really want gosh. that. <laughs> I feel like it's coming. The fact that they ended it with the concept art, yeah. just like they did for Mandalorian, it feels like it's coming. I need the concept right. art from episode two, and I would love to hear more from that director. Um, I can't Me recall too. her name. Steph Green. Yes. Um, yeah, because like Seth Green. Yeah, Steph Green. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> um, yeah, I would love to hear more about her directing that episode. Anyway, yeah, I completely agree. It feels like that quote and kind of John talking about the development of both The Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett 
that was always a part of how those shows were developed. I think that quote you read kind of alludes to that of wanting to start with Boba Fett or wanting to have a story about Boba Fett, but realizing that perhaps there was an opportunity here to start something that feels even more uh, foundational to Star Wars and and even more of a Western with a character like the Mandalorian, introduce these new characters and then bring a character like Boba Fett into the fold and just kind of continue to spin it out from there. So I think it makes perfect sense that these characters will continue to overlap. I kind of wonder if we'll see Boba Fett in the same kind of capacity as we saw the Mandalorian and Grogu in the book of Boba Fett. Because I wonder if they're kind of setting it up. I think they have set it up. This is my opinion as of right now. Is that they've set it up that Din and Grogu are our main, main characters. And then everyone else is kind of secondary to that as far as story time. And so Din and Grogu showing up in a big way in the Book of Boba Fett makes sense. And while Boba and Fennec can show up in you know, the Mandalorian, which both of those characters already have, I don't think it'll be in the same kind of taking over multiple episodes kind of way, because I think this is, I think our box set is supposed to be focused on Din and Grogu as the characters that we're tracking with kind of the biggest character arcs and character journeys, if that makes sense. And then these people like Boba and Fennec are main players in their stories as well. So I don't know. That's yet to be determined, right? (laughs) But -hmm. that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. But we'll see how things go down the line. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so our next question is from Skylar. They ask, question, do you think Grogu leaving is affecting Luke? And if so, how? Yeah, I do. I think Luke is really just trying to figure it out. And I think that he has... He put on this bravado in a lot of ways that we saw in the book of Boba Fett of knowing what to do, knowing how like what he should do to train Grogu. And the fact of the matter is, is that he he does and doesn't. Right. Like he just like we talked about, he just kind of takes Yoda's lesson plan and applies it to Grogu, <laughs> um, even in how he's got him on his back and running like this is all very extremely it's it's copying Yoda's lessons mm-hmm. to him. Right. But at the same time, Grogu or Luke offers Grogu a choice in the end. And that's not something Luke was offered. Luke had to make the choice himself. He was told not to do that. And I think, you know, there was so much discussion about Luke and and how he was acting towards Grogu and what, you know, what was he doing setting up the Jedi Temple, right? And I think there's still a lot to work with about Luke Skywalker and, and what exactly his thoughts and his opinions are on the Jedi Temple. But I think this is an important distinction for the Luke that we see is that he gives Grogu the choice. And we can talk about, you know, the semantics of how he delivers it, of of how extreme it is, of, you know, take this weapon mm-hmm. and you'll never see the Mandalorian again. <laughs> like, it's pretty intense, right? But I think the important thing is Luke gave Grogu a choice. And when Luke made the choice to leave Dagobah, he he was told not to. The the you know Yoda and Obi-Wan were telling him not to go were trying to persuade him not to go after his friends and his family and Luke put family first um and in Leia and Han and I think it's important to kind of remember that Luke was okay with Grogu leaving was okay with him not following the path of the Jedi 
when that wasn't what Yoda and Obi-Wan wanted for him. And I don't know. I think that's interesting. And I I don't really think we talked about that a whole lot. um, The importance of that for Luke as a character when we were talking about that episode. But I do think it's affected Luke because this is his first student who is not actually his student because he quit (laughs) his first dropout. And I imagine that that really is affecting Luke because... Has he been looking for other Force users? Clearly, he's been meditating and listening in the Force to the point where he heard Grogu call out and went to go get him. Are there other people that he's been in contact with? How Ahsoka. I mean, yeah. But I mean, like other new Force users. Mm-hmm. Um, have there been other people who have called out in the Force to him, like Grogu? Has he been looking for them? You know, has he had other dropouts? <laughs> Maybe Grogu is not his first uh, dropout. He's like, what am I doing wrong here? <laughs> um, I don't know. But I do think it's affecting him. And I think it will affect him in the future and eventually what happens with Ben. And I actually do think that Grogu leaving um, doesn't have to be negative for Luke. I think it can be positive um, in the sense that he maybe uh, realizes that attachment is good. And maybe it leads him to believe that he can train Ben, actually, as his family. Um, And then, you know, he falls in another way later in the line, later down the line. But maybe right now it actually is positively affecting him, too, and his views on uh, family relationships as it pertains to, like, actually starting, a you know, a quote-unquote proper Jedi order. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's an important note to make, actually, Caitlin, is the the fact that uh, Luke and Leia and Ben and Han are all struggling with the fact that uh, Ben, who is now like five at this point in time, is dealing with like, how, what is it like to raise someone who is force sensitive without the help of the Jedi? What does that do to you? What is going on with Ben in terms of nightmares? There's a lot there, right? And I think it was pretty vague in The Rise of Skywalker about the whole like, Leia's vision <laughs> about yeah. if she stayed a Jedi, then he would turn to the whatever. So there's already something that's like haunting over that family about the future, attachment, what it means to have like a force sensitive child, regardless. I think that it's interesting because you're so right though, Caitlin. I think that um Luke wasn't really necessarily given a choice, or his choice was so uh it wasn't really a choice, I guess, in in Empire Strikes Back, it was more, if you go, I'm not going to help you at all. You can't do anything. And I wonder if even Grogu and, got and that, that sort of... wrong choice, too. Sorry. Yeah. Like, it's presented to Luke as though it's the mistake. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's how Luke presents it to Grogu. That's exactly right. And I sometimes I wonder, like, what happened right after Grogu made the choice of choosing the shirt over the sword? Because... With Yoda and Ben Kenobi as a ghost, they say, if you go, we can't help you. We can do no no assistance is going to be given to you. And I sort of wonder, like, was when he offered the choice to Grogu, was that whole, if you go, there's no assistance for me. You can never come back, whatever. Uh, I don't think so. And I think that that's, that could potentially be an important distinction going forward. I, and, but I'm with you, though. I think Luke is making a lot of mistakes and a lot of – he's figuring it out. I mean, we're literally, he's still building his temple, right? Like there's no other people here. It felt, it feels like very new for Luke, I think, to have this concept of being a teacher and 
what that even means for him. I mean, yeah. I mean, how long did it take him to even find land for sale that could hold a temple <laughs> like what he was planning? Who's the architect? Commit <laughs> deforestation. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's so much. I, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot there. And I think we're just seeing the smallest sliver of the pie when it comes to Luke's story about how he gets from Return of the Jedi to what we see in The Last Jedi, really. And how many mistakes happened and the mistakes that were made with good intentions. I think that that's a really important note because Luke isn't a villain and he, I don't know, I just, (laughs) there's this weird sense of me that wants to defend Luke trying to do something, but knowing that that's hard as like an audience member, knowing that it's ultimately going to fail because I think that he is trying, but he is only operating from what he knows. And like Caitlin said, he's literally just copying Yoda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's rough. It's rough. This kind of segues into our next question nicely of what would your level of interest be in a Luke Jedi Academy show in this era? And uh, especially since we already know how the story ends. It's pretty high. I I want it. I mentioned this on the show. I'm fine with it. Uh, if they ever did something like that, I probably would prefer to, for it to be animated versus uh, what we saw in the book of Boba Fett. But also, like I said, I have complicated feelings about the deep fake of it all, but I think that they did a really, really good job. So I don't know. I think the story could be good, really good. I think it would be really interesting. I think I would want this story once Ben Solo comes back, <laughs> um, like from yeah. the world between worlds, because I think this is the whole, the difficulty, the struggle with some of these stories, like about what it is to be a Jedi, right? If you were disappointed in the end of Tross, it it's kind of like, what are we leading to when it comes to this discussion of the Jedi, which is a lot of how I feel um, about some of these conversations. But I kind of think I would feel the same way about seeing a Ben Solo story with Luke in the Jedi Temple or even like the Jedi Academy, maybe even before Ben comes. But we're looking at like a very small window of time here now, right? Um, So I don't know. And knowing that Ben Solo wasn't back yet, I think I would feel that kind of, what are we going towards? Like, what is this leading towards? Um, What's the bigger story arc here for a character like Luke? knowing what happens in the future, knowing what happens to Ben Solo as a result of this Jedi Temple. I think it would be really hard to do a good Luke Jedi Academy show without kind of further resolving some of this storyline with Luke and Ben um, because it hasn't been resolved and it wasn't in Tross. I think that was a big disappointment from that film was even them not having a conversation together given that Luke says, see you around kid and There was Mm -hmm. such tension between them in The Last Jedi that, I don't know, I think I could be interested in a show like that one day, um, but I think a show like that would really need to have some of those other things in place, like Ben Solo coming back or knowing that that was on the table or, I don't know, having it, it's already done, you know, I think that would probably aid that show in a lot of ways. And that's not just like from a personal, I really love Ben Solo as a character, which I do, <laughs> I think it would make more it's sense. It's okay that it's from your personal <laughs> exactly. point of view too. Yeah, like it's, yeah. It's okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm with you though. I completely agree with all of your points. And I think that even an alternative would be seeing the next step of what 
Ray even does with the Jedi. Yeah. Just based off of like even if it if it's not fully resolving the Luke and Ben situation, there's still a sense of okay, so what comes next? Like because with the Clone Wars, if we're talking about like going back and adding more uh, like fodder into what makes something like a some a tragic event more tragic, like we see in Re- Revenge of the Sith, with the Clone Wars, we're leading to the original trilogy, right? Like we're leading to Revenge of the Sith. All of those things are done. They were those six films were finished when we went back to the Clone Wars and George really like hammered home and nailed down exactly what small stories he wanted to tell. And some of those really did aid the watching of both Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, and the original trilogy. And I think that because that it w- everything was really so resolved, especially in Return of the Jedi, I think that it's not a one-to-one comparison with a story like this to uh, The Rise of Skywalker. So, or, so I don't know. Um, I'm with you with that. I still would like to see it. And if it had something really good to say, a short story, a limited series, I'd watch it and I'd be into it. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm, it's pretty safe to say I'm going to watch anything at this point. Right. Um, there are a few <laughs> exceptions, but I'm pretty much, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> All right. So are we ready to move on uh, to a different TV show related to this TV show? Yes. Okay. (laughs) We have a question talking, asking about Omega. And uh, it's from Nathan who writes, Hi, I've been thinking about Omega's relationship with Boba again. Same, Nathan. (laughs) And how there are only two trees in Boba's lizard vision. We know that Bad Batch and Book of Boba are aware of each other. It seems unlikely to me that when dealing with Boba's family, they would simply choose not to address his sister. So does that mean Boba remains unaware or distant enough from Omega to neglect her? Anyway, I'll let you both handle the nitty gritty since it's what you excel at. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that uh, (laughs) the nitty gritty is really just our rambling. (laughs) Um, I think the show, if there's a season two of the book of Boba Fett, it will address his sister because I do feel like the entire season didn't fully address Boba's own past with his father. I think that there's some trauma, trauma resolved with like building his own family and finding a sense of like place in, on Tatooine with the people that he built this palace around right and this sense of duty and the whole if not us then who of the ending of the book of boba fett chapter seven um i think that he has found a sense of like family is what i'm saying but i do feel like there's a a missing piece about what the heck is the deal with like his trauma with his father and why did they show camino so much the water of it all that we talked about so much on our show that we really wanted to see happen. And I think that Omega is actually a piece of that, right? That if, if we go back to the start of Boba's life, then we also have to address the other things in canon that we're aware of now that make the clone story so much more interesting in my opinion. And that includes Omega. Um, So I, I think that, I think that that would have to be resolved. I mean, come on. Cad Bane was just in this <laughs> series. Sometimes I have to sit back and be like, that's crazy. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I do feel like that we're going to someday merge with Omega if there's a season two or we see Boba Fett someplace else. But 
um, I, I still maintain that the reunion between Boba and Omega or the union, I guess, like meeting up will happen in the Bad Batch, which has a season two coming out, I guess, sometime soon this year. And I think that because I because I think that is central to the Bad Batch story when it's not central to the Book of Boba Fett. It could, though, dependent on what their meeting as like children looks like in the Bad Batch. Yeah, I think you're right. You've said that for a while that you think that if Boba and Omega are to have a reunion, a moment, whatever it is, it's going to be in the Bad Batch. And I agree. And I think it I think it needs to happen because we've seen Camino depicted really heavily as home for both Omega and Boba in a way that I think is different from even the Bad Batch um, and that it's meaningful to Omega and Boba in a way that it isn't for the Bad Batch and and presumably other clones. I think we see the Bad Batch kind of have um, nostalgia is not the quite word, but sentiment about Kamino and it's slight spoilers for the end of season two of the Bad Batch or big spoilers, I should say, um, for its destruction of Kamino. But the, the story really focuses in on Omega's hurt about the destruction of Kamino and her home and where her and the Bad Batch were created. And then, of course, we see um, Boba really associating Kamino with his father and his childhood. And uh, yeah, I think that there's still a lot there that needs to be resolved for Boba. And I think we're going to continue to see that story play out for Omega and like, what is her home now? What is her identity now? Um, I think she knows it's with the Bad Batch, but then also what is her identity as an individual? And maybe that is this connection she has with Boba Fett. Um, I don't even think we know if she knows about Boba Fett. I'm sure she does. I feel like Omega knows everything. (laughs) Uh, If Boba Fett knows about her. I think there are just so many questions and opportunities. And like you mentioned, Charlotte, Cad Bane being in the book of Boba Fett and Fennec, both people that have had big experiences with Omega. I'm still a little disappointed it never got brought up, but I have faith that it will in the future. In that we just have to be patient. I know. We have to be patient. I have no patience. Things are so planned. I, I think, think that are. things are more planned than sometimes Star Wars lets on. Yeah, also. I know. I know. But <laughs> yeah, like I said, I'm just why didn't Cad Bane have any kind of dry remark for Fennec in the last episode? <laughs> I don't get it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's inevitable. I really hope it would be such a great connection. And I think an important one, too, when we're talking about so much of the Bad Batch and the Book of Boba Fett and really all of Star Wars, right, is about family. And we have these two characters who are roughly around the same age, clones, clones that don't age, looking for a home. <laughs> I think it makes sense. I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, I I love Omega and I want to see more of her. So that's like a big component of it too, where I think that I think so many people fell in love with Omega in the first season of the Bad Batch. And I think that it only makes sense for her character to continue on and develop later and like be the leader of these like ex clones. I think that would be so awesome if that was true. So so we'll see how that happens. I'm ready. Yeah. I just want to say, I want to comment also that we got a couple questions about Omega and we answered this one. So thank you if you wrote in about Omega. It's pretty clear that people want Omega. So let's give the people what they want. 
Lucasfilm, if you're listening. <laughs> us what we want. Yeah. Just give us what we want. Yes. Okay. So our next question is from Jeff. It would be interesting to hear you compare and contrast Boba's path to Rex's path. Both are cut from the same clone cloth, one altered and one not. Each embraced the life they were brought up in only to have traumatic events inspire them to go a different way. Rex had a family, lost it, then found another. Boba never had a family, then found one with the Tuscans, lost it, and now seeks another. Thoughts? To be honest, I hadn't really thought a lot about Rex and Boba Fett, like comparing their character arcs until this question. So I think it, thank you for submitting it. I think it's a really great question. I think I would say that Boba did have a family and lost it with Django. I think that's kind of the only caveat I would have. Um, but I think they, I think one of the other things that I would like to see Boba explore more of is his identity as a clone. Because I think that when we're talking about belonging so much in Star Wars, I think that's something we see Rex grapple with a lot. Um, I don't, and like a, being a brother. And I feel like that's something Boba has probably tried to run a lot from um, in his life, knowing that, yes, it's true that he's a clone, but he's also quite different from the other clones. And as a child, you know, he was the special one. You know, is Omega a part of that? I don't know. <laughs> um, so I think that it would be really it would be really interesting for them to have a conversation about like who they are, what their identity is, um, how they reconcile being created rather than born in that sense. Um, so I think they have these very similar arcs, just like all of us are all of our characters in Star Wars of losing family, realizing how important it is, searching for it again and putting everything on the line. And I feel like in some ways Rex discovered that earlier in his life just due to the events of, you know, Order 66. And I feel like Boba, it really took kind of becoming a part of the Tuscan community again and becoming a part of that family later on in his life to like open his heart again and realize how good that felt and how that was actually what he wanted. And, you know, Cad Bane tells him you've gone soft in your old age and Boba says we all do. And I think it took it took a, a family like the Tuscans to remind him that that ultimately was what he wanted for the rest of his life. And I think Rex comes to a similar conclusion, but also, I don't know, there's still a lot left of Rex's story, right, that we haven't seen of what he ultimately decides to do with his life. But I feel like they both have these strong senses of duty and an honor in the name of honor. I feel like those are both kind of words that I would use to define Boba and Rex together. Yeah, I think that Rex, at least what we have seen, is someone who after Order 66 clung to the ideas that he, the ideals really, that he, um, you know, built himself upon. So like brotherhood and, uh, loyalty and that's why he spends time with Ahsoka and he remembers the war that he helps these these ex-clones or clones that are ex-soldiers and um I think that's the, to me that's the biggest difference with Rex and Boba is that Rex is under no circumstances is he in denial that he was a soldier that he was a clone and I think that in a sense just because we haven't seen it resolved I would say that 
Boba doesn't have anything. He hasn't had anything really to say about being a clone, at least in this part of his life. Right. Like he could have hated it when he was younger um, in the Clone Wars and things like that. But I think now I wonder what he would say to Rex if they met face to face about whether or not they were brothers, whether or not they had anything in common. I do feel like at this point, Boba might have some sort of sense of denial about being a clone. Because I think that after watching the show, I still wonder what Boba really thinks of himself and his past. I think that like, I say that, but I think that the show did a pretty good job of showing us like what matters to Boba and what doesn't. But I still like, there's still more that I think needs to be uncovered about who he is reflecting on who he was in the past. Like, I think that what was so good about the moment with Cad Bane when he takes the the sword, uh, the sword, the um, the gaffy stick that he built with his new family of the Tuscans in that amazing ceremonial scene, and he stabs Cad Bane, killing him. He kills his older life, right? He kills this older piece of who he used to be. But that's that bounty hunter part of yeah. him. What about the part of him that is the clone? What about the part of him that is from Camino? And the part of him that's in his dreams, on the on the vision quest, all of those things, I think that that also ne- that needs to be resolved. That needs to be something that we go forward later. And I think that with Rex, what I am realizing is that Rex is just so resolute. And I think that he has dealt with so much, but I think that he knows who he is. And like that's a huge part of Rex's story, especially during Order 66, is him dealing with like finding who he is within you know, and rising above. So um, I think that's what Boba Fett is dealing with as well. But I think when we when we bring the clone into it, things get a little muddy with Boba. And I think there, it's worth exploring in the future. Still a lot of question marks. I think the only thing I can think of, of Boba referencing it is in The Mandalorian, uh, in The Believer, I think is the episode where they're like going to storm the empire. They're going to sneak in. And Boba is like, I think they'll recognize me. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, it's, a, of, it's a great line, but like, yeah. <laughs> that's, I was thinking about that too. I was like, that's the only time, but yeah. I, I just, it's been a while since I have revisited his Clone Wars pieces. And I, I think that he was pretty like prejudiced towards the clones. If I remember correctly, I could be yeah, from, like, totally wrong Wars. with that. But I, I feel like there is a sense of denial that was there when he was a child, but I don't even want to count that because I feel like the Boba Fett that we see in this show is totally reborn. He is renew. He is someone who is different. Obviously he's dealing with his own past and everything, but he has his own, he's a different set of ideals. Yeah, he does. I just, this is such an interesting facet of his character that I really think yeah. needs to be explored more, especially with someone like Tem to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, just so good. Well, yeah, if we see Tem portray Rex or any other clones ever again in the future in live action, I feel like that's going to happen, right? Like, I feel like that's going to happen. Then I feel like it will already bring, at least to the live action watcher audience, this sense of, oh my gosh, I know that face. Wow, are they ever going to deal with that to the show? <laughs> that, uh, I feel like it's going to raise some questions. I have mentioned this to my parents who are um, casual Star Wars watchers who watch all the shows except for the animation. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's a clone, right? That's interesting. He's a clone. Period. That's it. That's as far as the conversation goes. Because the the story. Yeah, I know. Because the story hasn't resolved that. So 
until it does, that's where I leave it now. And I feel like it'll be really fun to compare how Boba deals with being a clone versus Rex in the future. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So our next question is from Kat. Will you all revisit your discussion of the dark saber for your lightsaber color theory episode. Now that the dark saber has appeared in the Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett. I would love to revisit the lightsaber color theory episode. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> I think the dark saber is perfect for this discussion and for our greater discussion on the Jedi as a whole, because it's black and white. <laughs> I mean, it's right. black, but like how it appears the colors that it conveys on screen and especially in animation are black and white. That balance, having both, having being wielded by someone who is not full, is is not just Jedi, that that is not their only moniker or descriptor. It's Mandalorian. It's Jedi. It's both. It's not just one color to define you as a lightsaber. That red is bad. That blue is good. That black is dark side that white is light side it has both and it's perfect in that regard in my opinion it's like a yin and yang lightsaber yeah but also i would say that there's another level of that that we would probably bring into our lightsaber color theory discussion where things shouldn't just be black and white and how it doesn't have to be so dogmatic so binary right with being a mandalorian and a jedi or both or something else like there's a sense of, I think, going back to the choice that Grogu had to make with choosing the Jedi and choosing the shirt, choosing the Mandalorian or choosing to stay with the Jedi. There's a sense of like, why couldn't he just pick both? Like, why are we making him choose? And I think that can go back to even just a color conversation about why does it have to be so black and white? Why does it have to be these two things? Why can't it be these both these things? And I think that maybe we we would be able to spin it in just hypothetically. This is very half-baked, but <laughs> we would be able to spin it into this concept of maybe the Darksaber is a weapon that needs to be destroyed because it is so binary versus uh, representative of something that needs to be like that has to be both versus creating something brand new. So I agree, but I'd also say that like a gray lightsaber just doesn't have the same kind of you don't know on screen. <laughs> you think. don't know. You don't know. The dark saber was a wow moment, and I didn't even know I needed it until I saw it. So <laughs> I do think that. I mean, yeah, I think I think we could obviously take this into the discussion of like the third choice, right? The third path of not being so binary, and how we talk about good and bad, dark and light, evil and good. Um, but I do think there is a certain that <laughs> it's good to have something like that that is so yin and, yin and yang. Like yin and yang, the symbol of it is still black and white, but they're blended. And I think mm-hmm. we kind of yeah. see that with the dark saber, even if it is still this dichotomy of two, you know, individual colors of black mm-hmm. and white, but they exist in the same space. Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, I find myself thinking a lot about the Visions episode, the ninth Jedi, with the lightsabers that change color depending on your intention, which I think was just the coolest idea ever. I'm honestly so obsessed with it, and I can't believe Star Wars never did it, Um, like actually did it, like in canonical Star Wars. It just seems like such an amazing concept. And if we're talking about like having this idea of 
like the definition of Jedi changing, of becoming something different, of being a force user. I wonder if there's like room for this new interpretation of the lightsaber as we move forward with like Rey's storyline and how she um, becomes a Jedi or creates a new Jedi order, if that's even something she does. Um, and I kind of think like seeing something that felt really kind of experimental or just really kind of fluid, like the lightsabers that we saw in the ninth Jedi from Star Wars Visions just felt so cool and it felt really creative to me. And so I kind of wonder if we'll be able to see that inspire, I don't know, maybe like the next iteration of a lightsaber in the future. I think it'd be really cool. Totally. Me too. I always think about that. And thank you for asking this because it has made me remember that actually there's a lot of lightsabers to discuss that we didn't discuss in that episode and things have happened like yellow lightsabers and things like that, that we could continue to discuss in that episode. So we should do that this year. Okay. Get to work, Caitlin. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Our next question is switching gears to Cobb Vanth. And the question is from Aubrey who asks, uh, what bonus feature would you like Cobb Vanth's mod arm to have? Please give one serious and one silly answer. I think my serious answer would be something practical in the sense of like, I don't know, like the whistling birds or the kneecap rocket, something like that, like an elbow rocket, <laughs> something useful that he could whip out at a moment's notice, a surprise weapon, I guess. My silly answer would be I want him, I want it to have like a siren attached to it, you know, like the red light because he's the, the sheriff of the town. And when people are speeding, it just, you know, the red light the whips out from his arm and that's how you know you're getting a ticket. Okay, so my serious is something to help him because he doesn't have any armor, so I just want him to be protected, like something to protect his heart almost, like a plate, like like Beskar armor, but like it's different, you know, because it's like part of his body. Okay. Um, my silly is that I think what is so great about Cobb is that he is a space cowboy, like through and through. Yeah. And I love the way he twirls his gun. And when he puts it back into his holster. So how about automatic twirler of a gun? Ooh, that's fancy. <laughs> Just a concept. Let's do that. Aubrey had another hilarious question of if you had to spend an hour in the back to tank with one character from Book of Boba Fett, who would it be and why? I've got my answer. It's not going to be Chrysanthemum. Chrysanthemum. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not going to be Chrysanthemum. Um, the thing that you could go a lot of different directions with this because <laughs> the concept is the concept. You just want like someone smaller so that you have enough room. Well, that was my, I was like, Grogu, he's the smallest. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say too. But is that just like stupid? Should I just say that I want to spend some time with Cobb Cobb Dan? Dan? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or Din. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I might pick Din. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the question here. Right. Or like a lep droid because they just like chill there and I would just, enjoy my like bathhouse time in the back to tank I don't know I mean if it's the back to tank that we saw in the book of Boba Fett I'm gonna go Grogu because smallest and that's a really small uh <laughs> area if mm -hmm. Boba has like upgraded to like a back to hot tub situation yeah. um yeah. really gone in on our bathhouse proposal then you know I might pick Chrysanthemum <laughs> It's <laughs> a good looking Wookiee. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is 
is such a good question. I loved it so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I still really want, I want the next, I don't know. I know Bacta is like hard to come by and they've talked about it in Star Wars novels before that it is a limited resource. So of course, like having a bathhouse isn't going to be like a hundred percent possible, but it would be, would be awesome if that's what he uses his credits to do is to create this I can't imagine them seriously putting together like a back to bath house no they would never do that but it would be great but okay if we're talking about like bringing water back and healing and like all of this good stuff the fact that Bobo would open up like a bathhouse that he would make this palace that was once Jabba's that was all about like rule and money and like killing people it's (laughs) (laughs) and it's a place of healing quite literally okay all right now i'm like seriously (laughs) on board okay all right next question from aubrey rat catcher plus pelly's bd droid do you ship it i didn't of course i ship it so yeah Yeah, of course yes yes absolutely yeah okay next question from aubrey aubrey had really good really good like quick questions that were really fun okay who rescued lil grogu from the jedi temple Give your top three candidates. Um, I'm going to say that Grogu wasn't actually rescued from the Jedi Temple. I think he was ultimately kidnapped from the Jedi Temple after Order 66. Oh, and dang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, so that's option one. What about your other two? Oh, uh, I, well, what I was going to say that it could be Cad Bane who took Grogu from the Jedi Temple. Mm. Uh, but if he was rescued, I don't know. It could be Bale. Just, you know, rounding up all the kids at the end of <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. Um, it could also be like Ahsoka or it, I don't know. It would be kind of cool to have it be like someone completely new who rescued Grogu, who then, I don't know, like ultimately lost Grogu or lost their life trying to save Grogu or put him in the safe house, wh- whatever it is. I think it'd be cool. That would be a cool story to have actually of a- another Jedi who survived Order 66. Yeah, I'm going to... Uh also say that there's a potential that he wasn't rescued by a Jedi at all, but was taken someplace else. And that's why the traumatic memory is so traumatic for him. And he has trouble remembering it. But I would say my other two options would be Plo Koon. I'm just saying. Oh, wait, that's not possible. Babe. Oh, I just made myself so (laughs) sad. Okay. Every time. I I literally wrote down, it's Plo in my notebook. (laughs) And it's, it can't be Plo. Okay. It's sad. That's really sad. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. Moving on. Um, all right. So then the other one I wrote down that's worth mentioning is Barris, just because there's, a lot, there's been a lot of speculation online about how the door on the right side of the, I don't even know if I've sent you this or showed you this no, at all, Caitlin. I don't think you've seen this. No, you haven't I seen have. it? No, I have. You have. The door on the side has like her logo that's in her room. And it's unclear if that's just a Padawan logo or what, but it seems curious. So I'm just going to say that. I don't know. It would also be cool if it was Barris because Barris has a, her story's not over. Dave Filoni said that a couple years ago. So we'll see. Just saying. Barris and Lux are like those characters that you kind of forget about that have like such interesting kind of perspectives on the galaxy at this time. Yes. That there needs to be more stories about that. We need we need more Barris. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to be on the lookout. bit for more Barris. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be on the lookout for any square-shaped lightsaber holes <laughs> that have been cut in walls. 
<laughs> Geonosis Clone Wars throwback. <laughs> I know that feels like a deep cut, but to be honest, we referenced the Geonosis episode quite a bit. I know. It was, it's formative for us because that's when we really, really got into Clone Wars. Yeah. Yeah. The Annie Soka of it all really, really yeah. hits its stride in season two. That's when we also totally. have another uh, podcast favorite of Holocron Heist with mm-hmm. Cat Bane. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, kind of going back a little bit to Cadmain, our next question is from David, who asks, my question is around what other cameos you would like to see in season two, provided we get one of the Book of Boba Fett. David says they would love to see some more on Kamino, other than seeing Django fly off to Coruscant, and I think Cadmain will survive so we can actually see the original duel in a flashback. Ooh. I would love to see Cad Bane survive. I would love to see it be Boba who helped Cad Bane survive. I think that would dovetail really nicely into Boba's whole kind of character arc uh, that we're like starting to explore and have explored quite a bit in season one. But I think him, uh, if Cad Bane did survive him being rescued by Boba Fett, I think makes a lot of sense. And I agree. I would like to see Django more. I think it'd be really interesting to see Tem kind of switch between playing Boba Fett and playing Django um, and seeing him on Camino or in other aspects, like doing other bounty hunter things before he dies in Attack of the Clones, I think it'd be really great. I think Django is actually someone I would like to see uh, moving forward because I think to me that would mean we're going to be talking more about Boba and his feelings and kind of reflection on his own childhood and upbringing. Totally agree. I... I'm going to be annoying and say I would like to see Kira. I think there's more to this Pike thing. And I really want that. And I know it's like, quote unquote, fan service and everything. But why can't I have that? (laughs) (laughs) Give me a good reason. (laughs) Why can't I? (laughs) Why can't I have the care? I really just want her to come back somehow. And that's it. So, (laughs) yeah, that's what I'd like. I agree. Kira, 100%. It just... Yeah, it feels feels like she should be there. I don't know why. It just does. It feels like <laughs> it really does. We're, we're with a story about like the syndicates and the underworld. It's like she's right there. Let's do something with that. Even though there's probably another story there, but I yeah. That's mm-hmm. my that's what I would like to see in season 2 of of The Book of Boba Fett. I was so like crazy for just looking for her in every episode of Boba Fett. Like even when Cad Bane showed up, like in the distance, I'm sitting on my couch going, Kira, Kira. And like oh even as she as he walks closer with the hat, I'm you like, You know it's Cad Bane. I'm like, Kira. <laughs> no. And then it's, it's Cad Bane. I'm and like, it's like, wait, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, yeah, hey, Cad Bane, this is so awesome. Wait, but like it's Kira? Yeah, it's just funny. I don't know. I have I've never really liked this in terms of like wanting a cameo but I just feel really strongly that Kira is such a super cool character comes to mind okay sure but Charlotte literally told me she would drop dead if I would I think I said I would simply expire (laughs) if if she was in some sort of flashback in Kenobi um (laughs) but it's not something I even the thing about the Natalie Portman thing though, Caitlin, is like I don't even think that that'll ever happen. So that's part of it to me is this concept of like I don't think that's gonna happen because I don't think Natalie would do that. 
I think that Amelia Clark would do something like this because the wound is still fresh. Like the memory is fresh. Uh, Solo was in 2018. So, but like Revenge of the Sith was in 2005 and they filmed that in 2003, 2004. So like that's a long time ago. Okay. So the contract could still be fresh for Kira. <laughs> the contract. The wound. And the thing the about contract. the Padme thing, I just want to continue to defend myself here. The Padme thing. Is I'm like, with you. I too inspire. Yeah, I am asking for any sort of Padme mention. Yeah, I just want a little bit of crumbs, like the smallest crumb. And you know what? I was well fed with the Naboo Starfighter. With the no, Naboo like, Starfighter does not count. Yes, it does. No, yes, it, it does because there was a, queens of Naboo okay, were mentioned. It, there, it counts to me, but it doesn't count about queens. Padme. Yeah, it doesn't like it's not like a Padme reference, but like it's way more than we got in the sequels. Okay, I mean, yeah, absolutely. But it doesn't count as our Padme reference. It doesn't. But I'm telling you, I was like, wow, that was nice. That felt good. (laughs) And (laughs) and yeah. So anyway, so I'm allowed to be a little bit crazy about the wanting the Kira to come back in live action somewhere. I'm just saying. No, it's, I'm with, I'm allowed I'm, to. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I know I'm you with are. You. You're just like I'm defending myself no against like ca- silent mob <laughs> that doesn't exist. You're like there's so. no other character I feel this way about. I'm like there is though. There is, there is though. But <laughs> actually, there's but there, two. There's Padme and there's Ben Solo. Yeah. Oh, okay. we've got a collection oh. now. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're moving on. We're under okay. one hand though. We got to keep it to one hand. Yeah. Yeah. True. 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 <laughs> but it's okay to like. Okay. Let me just again defend myself. It's okay to like characters enough to want to see them again. Sometimes I feel like our fandom is like, we don't, there's, I don't want to see them again. It's crazy if they show up in this th- scene and I'm like, don't you want to see your fave? I want to see my fave. I want to see all my faves. I want to <laughs> see them at dinner together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would like to see them at dinner together. Hello, Star Wars dinner party. <laughs> so yeah, that's, um. That's the feeling, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so the next questions that we have are from Vexed at Bohai, and I apologize if I mispronounced that or said that differently than you do. So this is a really good question, and I'm really excited to dive in. First one, what are your thoughts on the words sung over the Tuscan funeral scene? I know you briefly covered it in, chap- in the Chapter 2 episode, but the words, lyrics themselves, are quite interesting, if a bit on the nose. I'm going to read the English version of the lyric. It is family is more than blood, friendship slash comradeship. Family is more than blood, eternal importance slash important forever. Family is more than blood. The fact that it's in the Mandalorian language, Mandoa, is an interesting choice. Do you think this itself means something for Boba's future, or is it more likely that they were just working on developing the language anyway and decided to use it in this scene because it sounds good? Uh, I think both. I think all of the above. Mm-hmm. I think that I think for a story it works like this being in Mandalorian it makes me wonder like the Tuscans I don't know it just it's so fitting for Boba's story and I think there's a lot of symbolism in the song and the fact that it's played with the Tuscans and the funeral scene um family is more than blood obviously the Tuscans and Boba are not related by blood. Um, and Boba has like this weird relationship to the Mandalorian culture as well. I just think it works on so many levels in the Mandalorian culture as it relates to like these themes of belonging and family is 
a really fun thing to unpack that I know Charlotte and I have really enjoyed the past couple of years when couldn't tell you a history book about them, but I find them fascinating. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think that Caitlin is right that it's a mixture of both. I think that that development of that language, it, it just, it works to me, like for them to p- choose those lyrics um, for this scene, because I think that it's this concept of found family. Family is more than blood. It's an important forever f- friendship internal importance family is more than blood I think that that is exactly what is supposed to be echoed later when you realize that that was Boba's like supplemental family that was the family that he found that's um it's a deep wound within him that he needs to heal and wants to heal later when he you know tries to protect a whole town um yeah, I think it, it does sound – I think it sounds good. I think it's cool that they used it. I think all of the above, I think this was, like, such a cool find for um, fans. It's one of those things that's, like, a super cool Easter egg that they did something like this. And um, I know was probably meant a lot for, like, the Mandalorian fans that are out there um, to have something like this, this, like, something that's, like, deep in lore, I guess. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, for like lack of a better term, uh, to have something like that. So yeah, I just think it's really cool that they use this. Okay. So the next question is, do you hope or expect to see the Hut twins again in the future? And what would you like them to be up to? It doesn't have to be the Hut twins, but I can't believe I'm saying this. Like, yes, give me more Huts. The, the <laughs> Hut twins were such, I can't even describe the feeling of seeing them round the corner. It was so good. It, was, it really was so It was good. so overwhelming. And like, I was like stamping my feet in excitement. And I can't even tell you why, because I've <laughs> never cared about the huts. No, it's because it, it encapsulated the like weird ridiculousness that is it so did. joyful in Star Wars. Yeah, that's it. it the it, rounding the corner with like all of this <laughs> fanfare. It was like, yes. <laughs> Their you know, tails was, intertwined. Yeah, the people struggling so... to hold up the litter, the litter of it all. <laughs> just, so and good. Imagining them walking from God knows where up to the door of Jabba's palace with like a rancor so below a cliff, just waiting for the perfect moment. Oh no, that's that's also the best ever. And the then, rancor underneath, waiting. <laughs> with Pedro. Yeah. And then just turning around and going back down the hill after they're like whatever you can do whatever you want with chrysanthemum yeah so good i don't know it doesn't have to be the huts but more huts i don't care what they're doing honestly anything just as long as they're being carried around that's really all i need (laughs) so good so good um i i want to see them again in the future i want to i want more information about what the huts are up to talked about this in the show before i think there's a lot there and i think that the huts will if there's a season two of Boba Fett, I think that the huts will be a somewhat of a threat, definitely looming in the distance. And I think we will see the hut twins again, just because I think at this point, those assets exist. This is so technical, but those assets <laughs> exist. It like, it worked. People liked it. You know what I mean? <laughs> that seeing it again is, would be, would be great. Seeing them again, the twins, both the twins. Ugh, I loved it so much. I loved it too. Okay. So the, so the next question is, does Moss Espa get a new name now like Freetown and what should it be? It's Freetown, actually. What if it's just Freetown 2, also Freetown? <laughs> How about Free City? 
Free, I kind of like also free town. There's free yeah, town and there's also, also free town. Free town. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Or, you know, what if it's called like Django Town? What if he names it after his dad? Wow. What if it's just Django? Django. Moss Django. Moss Django. Moss <laughs> Moss Django sounds weird. I feel like they could just call it Django or Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna go back to also Freetown. So Okay. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think a namesake would be cool. Like maybe that would be how we got the I don't know, the Rancor's name or something like that. Like, the, I wouldn't say that we would name the city after the Rancor, but it would be kind of cool. <laughs> if it was like, what if it was Fet Town too? Fet Town. That would be neat. <laughs> so I'm just trying it Fet out. <laughs> yeah. Roman the streets cool. of Fet Town. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's, there's a lot of different names that they could go with. Um, but I bet it. I don't know. Freetown is also Freetown. I'm with you. I'm with you with also Freetown. So it would be funny. I appreciate that. (laughs) Our other, our next question from Hannah is, do you think Boba has any feelings of attachment for Fennec Shand, whether that be platonic or romantic? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think, I think they both do. I don't even think they would know what to call their relationship, but I think Boba especially is, very attached to Fennec. And I think Fennec is too. I think she, we talked about, you know, there should have been a lot more Fennec in this show, but I think especially episode four, where we saw Boba give her the choice to leave and she chooses to stay, I think is so telling about her relationship with Boba and the value she places on it. I do think that it absolutely starts from an actual monetary value that she places on the relationship by choosing not to leave after they get back um, Boba's ship. But I do think it evolves into something else. And I hope that in the future, we really do see more of an exploration and more of an explicit focus on Fennec and her life and kind of what she wants out of staying on Tatooine, staying with Boba Fett and what that means for her. I agree with you. And I just want to say, I think that there was this sense of love or admiration that happens that happened in that flashback episode where Boba proposes basically like staying with Fennec and then Fennec makes the choice to stay with him and staying along for the ride. I think that there's this mutuality, this mutual respect for each other that is somewhere in between platonic and romantic. I think that it could go, the only place I think that it would go, that would go from here would be towards the romantic. Um, Personally, I think that there's like some sexual tension that happens between them. And I definitely think they're very much attached to each other and that they're quite a duo. Um, if you recall, I was sort of skeptical about like what Fennec's role is could be. Like, could she betray him or anything? And um, I, I think that she's a killer. Like, I think that we saw that with uh, her killing all the pikes in that one tiny room. Um, <laughs> I, but I, th- that doesn't change for what I am trying to say about. I think that they, there's a mutual respect for each other, and I don't actually think that she would turn on him at this point. I thought that it could like be something that we trace, but I think by the end of the season, you realize that they're in this together. And when she has that line, this is my second time in the show that I've mentioned it. When she says, if not us, then who it's pretty clear that they're in this together and they're going to figure that all out. 
with each other. Yeah, I agree. I think there was that possibility for her to go rogue. And the fact that she didn't at the end of season one leads me to believe that she's in it for the long haul. And anything that happens in the future is a new development. Mm -hmm. If she does Mm -hmm. end up, you know, if they end up at odds somewhere down the line in the future, which I think is always on the table with characters like Boba and Fennec, but I don't think it'll be Star Wars happens all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Famously with Obi-Wan and Anakin. So (laughs) I just think that there's, there's our, yes. So your original question is any feelings of attachment and absolutely no question in my mind. It's just what, what do they do with that? Um, Regardless, I think there's going to be some pining if something happens where someone has to leave or some something bad happens to the other in a future season or um, different show even. So, yeah. And I, I love them both. So, <laughs> okay. So our next question is from Alex. Favreau, Filoni, and Kennedy. That was so weird the way I said Filoni. Okay. <laughs> Filoni, come, come to you a year ago and say, now that you've seen all these episodes, we aren't sure our series title makes sense. Can you help us? Do you rename Book of Boba Fett? If so, what's the new name? Yes, I do think renaming is something that should be on the table for the Book of Boba Fett. But as you saw with my renaming of Freetown to also Freetown, or renaming of Masa Espa to also Freetown. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the best person. When Charlotte and I talked about this before, I was like, what if we just called it Post-Empire <laughs> Show? <laughs> Which is not a good name. <laughs> no, it's bad. It- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, cool. What's your name? I think just calling it like um, Trials of Tatooine or something like that, I think makes sense. But I think even that evokes that it's just going to be focused on Tatooine and like Boba's story there when that's not like it's the Mandoverse is what we assume they're kind of leading all of this to. Okay. So then I'd pull even further back and say that maybe the Mandalorian shouldn't be called the Mandalorian and that maybe they should all be called Underworld or something, Star Wars Underworld with it being like colon the Mandalorian colon Boba Fett or colon Tatooine something like that the bounty hunter Um, and his baby yeah yes something like that (laughs) just bounty hunting I don't know all of this is like it's hard because all of these titles that we're throwing out there are not good like they're bad and I think the book of Boba Fett what it comes down to with titles okay I think that George Lucas took it seriously. He really thought about it. I think that is evident with Return of the Jedi originally being Revenge of the Jedi and then just feeling really bad about that, not liking that and being like, Jedi don't take, don't enact revenge. So I'm going to change it to Return of the Jedi. And I think that is a great story. But I think these days titles are marketing opportunities. And I think that they were also marketing opportunities back then too. I'm not, not saying that, but, uh, so it makes sense because they're going to talk about Boba Fett and everything. To me, it, it all makes sense. I just, I don't know what I would title it. <laughs> Not that creative, yeah. I guess. The thing is, too, we, ha- we, would, we would know the full plan, right? We would know if this really is going to be, you know, 
Grogu and Din as level, like they're the mains, right? And then everyone else are main players in their story. Or if it's going to shift a different direction or, you know, I think we'd have a better idea of where all of this is pointing to. Um, and like you said, I think the, the book of Boba Fett is really evocative and it, um, it feels even more storybook than the Mandalorian did. It like really pulls on that chapter uh, heading for all the episode titles that you and I both really love when it's mm-hmm. when it comes to the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett. So it just it rolls off your tongue, you know, the Book of Boba Fett. It sounds good, <laughs> but it yeah. it's a long title, and I do think I do think it sets up expectations for a series. Um, that wasn't met in the way that I think all of us assumed us included. So I do think probably more care or consideration should have been taken in that regard. I, I think they probably should have known that people would be having question marks about why it's called the book of Boba Fett when a good chunk of it is focused on other characters. I think that's a fair question from audience members. Um, so, yeah, I think it probably should have been called something different. But from that marketing standpoint, the Book of Boba Fett as a marketing title, I think it's it's as good as it gets, honestly, when you're taking into consideration who Boba Fett is and his kind of legacy in the fandom. Um, yeah. I don't know if that should have been the only reason why they called it that, but it certainly worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's, it's hard because I understand the frustration. I really do of the two episodes that had to do with the Mandalorian where Boba was largely absent from all of it. I miss Boba too. I enjoyed those episodes though, but I still like, I still think at the end, like when we have the finale, it is Boba's story. It is small scale. Like John Favreau referenced it. It's not like a, huge space battle that involves a bunch of people. I don't know. It's it's really hard for me. I don't really know where I land on it. I, I honestly like I flip-flop every minute and again, I I am giving myself forgiveness for that. Like I feel like it's okay for me to not really know where I land on something so new. Um but I do think that if I were to title the box set, I think it would have something to do with bounty hunters or underworld or something. Um, I think that gets harder when different shows get folded into the Mandoverse in the future. Like, I don't necessarily think that like the Ahsoka show is going to deal with bounty hunters in the same way. Maybe it will. I don't know. I have no idea what that show is going to be about. But I, I, I think that that's not necessarily the underworld is my sense of it all. So I don't know how it's all going to work, if it's all going to fit together. I think it's just one of those things of I enjoyed the episodes with Din and Grogu, but it confuses me when I'm looking at the series as an individual. And there's just like no other series does that. Yeah. And I think it should have been called something else. That's kind of that's kind of where I land on it. Or or they could have let us know that they were going to be that. Mandalorian was going to show up in this episode in in this series and we were going to look for it and it was going to be a thing that our expectations were part of that because sometimes I I think that this has to do with our expectations of oh okay so the book of Boba Fett we this is a series that we don't actually know that much about when it was even announced because it wasn't part of that Disney Plus Day Investors Day situation it was instead a teaser at the end of the Mandalorian we didn't really see that much about it then all of a sudden it's here the promotion doesn't start until like two months before. And 
there's all this speculation about it. It's all very under wraps and they only show us basically clips from the first three episodes and they don't really share that much about what the story is. So you go into it not really knowing that much when Star Wars didn't really used to be like that, right? Like you would watch a trailer and you would kind of get the sense of where we're going in the direction of the story. But with the spoiler phobia and everything like that, I do feel like there's a sense of we're promised something else when we are watching the marketing materials and that's not the audience's fault because it is literally what we're fed. And then when we arrive at it, it, it is something different. And then it ends up in a culture of sort of disappointment or feeling left, like led astray. And that's just annoying, <laughs> to be honest. Like, it's just like, it's frustrating. And part of me wonders if, if they marketed this as the Book of Boba Fett, the next story from The Mandalorian what is like Boba What's and Din? Are they going to work? There? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know because we can't go back and change the past with that. But sometimes I wonder because I, I know several people who went into the book of Boba Fett being like, okay, so this is going to be something different than the Mandalorian. Like maybe I won't need to have to watch that or something like that. And then the book of Boba Fett was al aligned with the Mandalorian, right? Like it story wise. And also it is a spinoff. So it, it works with it. So I don't know like when we talk about the title, I don't know if it really has so much to do with the title as much as the um the lack of awareness around the fact that it is so intrinsically tied. And like maybe we know this a little bit now going forward in different spin-offs of the Star Wars television shows. Maybe we can expect it, but we didn't necessarily expect it with this show in such a big way of like an episode and three-fourths of really just a story about Din. Um, and like maybe we could have if there was some language around the connective tissue. Well, I think they're just, yeah, I think that Star Wars as a whole could probably do a better job of balancing what they tell about a show versus what they yeah. keep, uh, you know, for spoiler purposes. Because like something like Grogu, that being a surprise, incredible. Like, I'm so glad awesome. it was as locked down as it was. You know what I mean? But then for something like this, I think that, yeah, maybe I think it could have been better communicated about just kind of what the vision here is for the Mandoverse as a whole. Um, I think that that's something they absolutely could have done, especially after the Book of Boba Fett was announced, right? Like, obviously, I don't think they needed to do that season one of Mandalorian or even season two necessarily. But once you bring in the book of Boba Fett, knowing that it's going to have this super strong connective tissue to the Mandalorian, I think it could have been marketed a different way. Um, so I think there does need to be, yeah, I just like that secrecy that is, it's like exhausting. <laughs> like mm -hmm. thinking of all these spoilers, like I'm, I'm exhausted for the creators <laughs> quite honestly. Yeah. Um, the worry of everything leaking and I think it's kind of like I don't know you you give some like you give us a little bit of something we can we can ride that speculation train for six plus hours on a podcast <laughs> you know like <laughs> you tell me that Din is going to be a pretty major player in the book of Boba Fett you know two months before the show comes out imagine what our shows would have been like 
our episodes we would have been, been like talking about it for so so much it would so have been much. really interesting <laughs> to like really speculate and run that out of just the what ifs of it I think it I think those would have been really interesting conversations to see and I wouldn't have felt yeah it's that expectation like thinking about how much we kind of cared about like that water storyline on Tatooine and like how cool that is thinking that we had you know five plus episodes to wrap it up when really we only had three really only two because you know the finale is kind of more dealing with the like the physical nature of the occupation of Tatooine and Mas Espa and all of that. So I don't know. I just think our conversations would have been a lot different. And I think that there should be a better way of balancing what is told to us about a story versus what is kept hidden. And I think that it makes it more interesting for the cast and crew as well, especially like like the cast when they're going out and doing all of these promo interviews and stuff like that, you're not getting anything of substance out of those types of interviews. You're not getting a lot of substance, I should say, um, because they just can't, they literally can't talk about anything <laughs> other than I'm in the show yeah. and it's interesting and it's good right. and you should watch it. And Yeah. And it feeds this culture of like, oh my gosh, what are they going to say? What are they going to leak to? Because yeah, like waiting we're for not shown to slip that up. much. Um, exactly. And, Which is unfair to the actor yeah. and the creator themselves. And like, yeah. imagine if we knew that Din was going to be you know, that major player in the book of Boba Fett. And then, you know, you're in an interview with him and it's like, oh, so we hear that, you know, Fennec is here, Din is here. What can you tell us about that, about the dynamic? And I don't know, it just gives more room for more of that interesting interview, I think, especially because our culture does not have the same kind of like follow-up, like after, like there aren't going to be as many interviews with people like Tem and ming Wen now that the show is over about like reflecting on the season as a whole. I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I think there'll be something like the Mandalorian, the gallery of situation, but I don't know, like those kind of press news podcast opportunities, I think are fewer now that the show is over when they actually can talk about things. And anyway, that's my soapbox about spoiler culture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> and you know what? I don't like to be spoiled for things either, but I like when things are handled properly in terms of marketing, I think. Yeah, so I, yeah. There was, there were, the thing is there was so much in those episodes that didn't, wouldn't have needed to be shared, you know, like about mm -hmm. Grogu, about Luke, about the Jedi temple, the, you know, choose the ball or the sword. None of that had to be spoiled. All of that would have bowled us over. Like it did. Totally. It already did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I think, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so our next question is from Joel, and it sort of goes to something that we answered already before, but I'm still going to read it. The Boba Fett question I wanted to ask is, what did you think? The Boba Fett question I wanted to ask was, did you think the show did a good job of developing Boba's relationship with Django? Do you think it showed enough of the two together, and how do you think this could be pushed further in season two? I think it can do more in that regard. Mm -hmm. I think that, again, I was so surprised and delighted that we got the Camino flashbacks that we did. Um, mm -hmm. I think they were so important. I think they were so cool. I just, you know, second trilogy representation 
Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> I think I think we've kind of talked about this in the episode, but really having more of a reconciliation and re- reflection from Boba about his past with his father, his identity as a clone, all of that and everything that he lost back then, how he kind of, you know, forged a path for survival by being a bounty hunter, having to live in you know, the shadow is because his face is so recognizable everywhere. I just, I think there's a lot of interesting uh, conversations about identity crisis there for Boba Fett in particular. And I think it's clear that it's still something that's heavy on his mind from the book of Boba Fett. And I think that's really cool. And yeah, I think, I don't want to say they can do a better job of it, but I just want to see more, more of it. Yeah. um, I was thinking about what I would like to see with Boba's relationship in terms of like a flashback or something, you know, something I don't think the show did super well was address the whole, the dreams are back conversation that happened with him and Fennec right away. I think we were aware that those were going to be like a storytelling device to show us flashbacks in the, um, in the back to tank. But there's a part of me that wonders if we're going to see in a season two or another exploration of Boba's character, a sense of dreams outside of the back to tank. And I can't help but think about Ben Solo and Han Solo um, in the rise of Skywalker and how Ben basically imagines Han being there through the force. And they have this great like reconciliation conversation. It's like one of the best moments in the sequel trilogy, in my opinion, it is so good. And the, the, what I would think would be really cool is if Boba and Django would have like this like dream, like trippy dream conversation (laughs) about their past, about again, referencing being a clone, this sort of like, why am I here? Why did you make me? What is it like to, what was it like? back then something like that I don't know this sense of identity that could possibly be explored in like a trippy way way more trippy than the Ben and Han thing in the Rise of Skywalker but more so akin to the lizard up the nose type of vibe (laughs) and (laughs) I I just I feel like it would be really cool to have like a conversation between them somehow in a trippy kind of way that maybe could happen in a dream and again I just want to circle back that like I think it would be really cool if Boba continued to have like dreams that plagued him um, somehow. And maybe those were different than just like a flashback. Maybe they were actual dreams about his present day, his own crisis and like who he is. Well, yeah. And if he has taken other aspects of the Tuscan culture with him, perhaps this is a piece of it with like Mm -hmm. the lizard component of it. Like where is the lizard? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thinking, I was just like imagining what this trippy scene would look like. And if, you know, he does go on another spiritual walk after the lizard or or something else, whatever it is, this dream state that he's in, having this flashback of Django, but the the environment keeps shifting between Camino, Tatooine, the water, the dune sea as it's filled in, but also Geonosis where Mm -hmm. Django died because that's also a desert sand environment and so we have this like great juxtaposition of a a type of environment where boba was reborn is the type of environment where 
Django died. And then like the creation, the um, technological creation of them on this place that is brimming with water that we associate with life-giving and as you love to bring up like baptism. And then we have like Mm -hmm. the Dune Sea that has been taken away, that has been dried up, but does it return? And like this trippy conversation of like all of these different environments, but they're all paralleled with each other, kind of going back and forth. Can be really cool. Would be awesome. Would love to see it. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) And I feel like this show gave me reason to think that something like that would happen. And that's what I really like about it too. Yeah. I think those first like three episodes really made me think like, wow, this show is going to do stuff. And I'm not saying that it didn't do that. It just, it really like let the imagination run, which I think is really the ultimate goal goal of these kind of shows, right? Is this like delightful imagination that you can get from watching them. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Okay. So following up our next question with a character we haven't really talked about this episode is from Brian who asks, Do you think that the armorer is an individual we've seen elsewhere, probably in animation or the comics, or do you think she's a new person entirely? And do you have a preference one way or the other? Um, I actually don't have a preference, which is surprising to me because usually I would say it would be better to have someone new who we could have like a whole history behind, which I'm totally for, but it would be pretty cool if there was a reveal about someone who went so intense with the Mandalorian creed and the Mandalorian beliefs like she has um, that maybe we know. And I don't really have an idea about who that could be. Um, Maybe uh, like someone from Sabine, like the Ren clan, something like that. But um, I, I don't know. What about you, Caitlin? How do you feel? Yeah, I don't really think I have a preference either way, but I think you and I had kind of speculated a little bit about her character in uh, this season and the what if she actually ended up being like more of a villain kind of character and an antagonist if she had this um, kind of ulterior motive. I can't remember quite how far we spun out this speculation, but I do. Pretty far. Pretty far. (laughs) No. (laughs) Just based off of the fact that she has the mall. Um, horns yeah. on the helmet. <laughs> a lot of people have like, who, what if she's Rook cast from the, who was played by Vanessa Marshall in the Clone Wars, um, who was like part of Maul's Mandalorians in the season seven of the Clone Wars, which I actually think would be really cool. We don't know that much about her anyway. So sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to throw <laughs> no, no, Rook no. cast into the, into the ring. Yeah, yeah, so I think that if I think it'd be really cool if the armor ends up being some form of form of an antagonist, actually. And if there was the reveal that she was someone who had been that we had known, I think that would be really fascinating to especially if maybe if they even hadn't started out like with Maul, if you know, something had led them down this this path some other way, like from someone who, because I think most villains believe a lot of villains start out with thinking they have good intentions and they just get consumed by this ambition and, you know, other things fall into place and they become a villain. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. So I think in that sense, it would be really interesting if it was someone we had seen somewhere somewhere else, even if they weren't 
like a main character, but they just kind of popped up before in kind of almost like a Barris character, honestly. Like, yeah, we were, Barris showed up in season five. We hadn't seen her, I think, since season two. <laughs> um, so maybe like a Barris character. It could, I, it could be interesting. But I, I still think that same kind of cool storyline with the armor as an antagonist could be uh, created out of a brand new character. So I would be totally yeah. for that. I think it would be interesting to see more about the armor in general either way, honestly. So I really don't have a preference. I think I'm firmly in the camp that the armor is not to be trusted, to be honest. Like I think that she Charlotte, who is not in that camp for you? <laughs> a lot of people. I feel like oh, who's not in that camp? Um like main characters. <laughs> Namesake. No, Grogu doesn't that, count. <laughs> no, Grogu does no, Grogu doesn't count. Grogu is a perfect angel. Okay. Who could probably turn to the dark side if he really wanted to. <laughs> you but anyway. Trust Grogu. <laughs> no, I trust Grogu. I'm just saying he could turn to the dark side. I mean, and would I still trust him? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I support Grogu's rights and wrongs. So <laughs> anyway, um, I would say that I still feel like the what we saw in the book of Boba Fett regarding the armor and Paz Vizla, there's a Din walks out of there being like forsaken of like not following the creed and is basically thrown out right he needs to go atone for his sins in in the sewer it is so dogmatic it is so intense and it it's a lot right there's a lot of I think like religious symbology that comes from that and I just feel like the path forward for Din isn't with them even if he atones in the sewers of Mandalore which like I think we should do that just because I feel like it's a really going to be a really cool set <laughs> piece. I, think we should, I, think I want to see there. it. <laughs> I think we go there. Yeah. But I think what Din is going to find is not what he really came to. Like when he goes there, I don't think that he's going to get that sort of sense of atonement in in this sort of rigidity of the Mandalorian creed that he actually seeks. Right. Like I think it's going to be something different. And I just feel like that's what the armor represents in in our discussion about the antagonist and everything. I don't think there's a future of the armor being on Din's side personally. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Okay. So our last question is from Daniel. Do you think people would be complaining about Din and Grogu being reunited so soon if their scenes had been intercut throughout the season instead of mashed into two consecutive episodes that felt like a big tangent away from Boba Fett's story? This is such an interesting question, and I, I really have no idea. Because on the one hand, I think about our conversations in the early episodes of The Book of Boba Fett and being like, it's so small scale, it's so focused, it's fun to stay on this planet of Tatooine and not, you know, Din, Din was all over the place. He was there and back again. <laughs> um, so I don't, I feel like it would have kind of taken us out of the story a lot, Um I just don't know. I, I think it would have been clunky, honestly. I think they would have had a hard time intercutting it. Um, I'm really not sure how it would have flowed. I think it would have definitely helped with those expectations of having like little scenes of Din and Grogu peppered throughout. Like we would kind of be following with this like epilogue story in a lot of ways or or however they chose to cut it like this mini side story of Din and Grogu that actually could be pretty interesting um, because we would kind of be looking for that resolution to their story throughout the whole season 
I'm just not sure how it would have actually felt in the story altogether. Right. Yeah, I I agree. I think this is so interesting, this concept, and it's not one that I thought before we got this question, actually. I I think that it, it could have worked, but I think what I agree with you, Caitlin. I'm just not sure. I think just to go back to our earlier conversation about like marketing and branding and like expectations, I think this would have been something that would only work if there was an expectation that it was going to be part of it throughout. Like, I don't think they could have sprung this on us in the first episode of this season um, without any sort of like forewarning that it was coming, I guess. Yeah, I agree. It just be very interesting. Mm-hmm. I I have to share that last night I was leaving my building and I was saying goodnight to my dad and some guy came out of my building and I was saying to my dad, like, it was so fun watching Book of Boba Fett, have a good night. And the guy who was coming out of the building said, oh my God, wasn't that finale so good? It was so amazing. And I feel like I I made a Boba Fett friend, someone <laughs> in my building. And I just want to share that moment of Star Wars in real life love because sometimes I feel like in a conversation like people complaining about Din and Grogu being reunited so soon, you can get a little caught up in it. And then you just have these little moments of Star Wars love that you see everywhere. Um, well, you don't see it everywhere. You experience it only sometimes. And when it happens, you're like, Star Wars is so good. And the fact that I had that experience just made me feel so great that there's another person in proximity to me who also enjoyed the finale of Book of Boba Fett. And just based off of like this side comment I made, I was able to, you know, make a connection with someone about Boba Fett. I thought that was really cool. And I think so many people really liked the show, including myself. And that was like one of those fun little moments that I feel like you only really get at Celebration (laughs) or when you're talking about it in like public or at school or something like that. Uh, And when it happens, it is so fun. And I know if you're listening, you've definitely had a similar moment like that before where you were like, Star Wars is good. It is so fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like honestly, the only people I've talked to the Book of Boba Fett about in real life haven't watched it yet. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they've like they know other people are watching it and they know I've watched it and they've watched like The Mandalorian but they just haven't started Book of Boba Fett yet. It just like it hasn't like it's next on their watch list, you know what I mean? Like they're like the casual yeah. fans. They just haven't gotten to it yet. So I've had not people are going to binge it now that it's over. Yeah, I'm ready for it. <laughs> I mean, that's how Mandalorian also caught on that way if you remember correctly. I mean, The Mandalorian was its own unbelievable successful beast that had a lot to do with the memes of baby yoda yeah groga (laughs) who's that i don't know it's yaddle (laughs) yoda and yaddle grogu and groga um i i don't know i just i feel like it's going to like catch on in terms of binging but i think i saw the numbers today that the Book of Boba Fett finale was did way better than the Mandalorian season two finale, which is insane to me because I felt like the season two Mandalorian finale had the biggest cultural footprint. Like I felt like everyone I know was talking to me about that. Well, yeah, and it's just the choice yeah. and Grogu was kidnapped. It was yeah, the whole thing. It was yeah. So the fact that more people watched this finale shocking to me. I mean, they know what they're doing. I think that they 
they know what they're doing. Sometimes I, like I said, I was talking about the marketing and the branding and everything. Maybe they know better than I do. And I just need to stop. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Cause something's working. Some cases that we know better some than cases. them. I'll, some, I'll, some cases. I'll give them some stuff, <laughs> but I'm also <laughs> going to keep some stuff for me. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. 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 <laughs> That was so fun. I'm so glad we did this. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions. I mean, it means so much to us every time we get an email or any all of your kind comments. It is so nice. And again, when we said this in the beginning of the show, but we were shocked by how many people emailed. So thank you so much. It was so fun. And it was a great way to sort of cap off this discussion about the book of Boba Fett. And I have to say also uh, on behalf of Galen and I, thank you so much if you listen to our recaps every single week. It is so nice that we are able to, I don't know, connect with you guys this way. It's amazing. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Um, just echo everything Charlotte said. Thank you for submitting questions and thank you for following along with us on this journey of the book of Boba Fett. It's been really fun. So we're looking forward to the next thing that is coming down the pipeline and it's coming quickly. So <laughs> stay tuned here. <laughs> we'll be talking yeah. about it. I'm sure. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it, had a couple laughs. I know we did. So again, thank you for submitting your questions. We really do appreciate it. If you want to touch base with us online in other ways, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Clarity and mine is at Caitlin Flusher. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com or our uh, Instagram or our TikTok or Facebook. You can find us there. Just search Sky Talkers Podcast on your social media platform of choice and you'll definitely find us. <laughs> um, if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, it would mean so much to us if you took a couple seconds to go and do that. It makes our day and it helps other people find our show. And also on Spotify as well. If you've left us a review on Spotify, thank you so, so much. We really love it. Um, yeah, thank you. I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I'm really surprised that a number of people had actually reviewed us on Spotify, given that it's such kind of a new, uh, the rating system for podcasts is so new. So truly, thank you so much if you've done that. Um, it really it means a crazy. lot to us. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's so nice. So thank you so much if you've given us five stars on Spotify. It's awesome. I think we're up to like over 70. It's crazy. Yeah. You guys are awesome. Yeah. It took us a long time to get to 70 reviews on iTunes. I know. So I know. thank you so much. <laughs> um, and if you're interested in other ways to support our show, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. And fun fact, I feel like we haven't uh, talked about it in a while on the show, but all of our reward tiers are themed after Yoda. So if you're interested to see how that all breaks out and what those look like, you can head on over to our Patreon and also check out ways to get involved in our Patreon-only Discord community. Yes, and I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Daniela, Heidi, Kitty, Emily, Adam, John, Dylan, Alex, Fifi, Brian, King, Kimberly, Suki, Paul, Shelby, Susan, and Derek. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time... May the force be with you. May the force be with you.